Each week of Advent can be summed up in two words. Last week was wake up. This week is straighten up. Every year on this weekend, we trot out our brother John the Baptist, who calls us to repentance. All of our Gospels agree that John is the voice in the desert crying out, make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. In fact, our first reading today is that passage that our Gospel writers quote. But what is even more interesting is what is not in Mark's account of John the Baptist. Remember, this is the short gospel. Last year in Matthew, John condemned the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, you brood of vipers, even now the axe is at the root of the tree. But this year, John calls out no one in particular. We are all called to repent. Just as all the people of Jerusalem were going out to the Jordan to confess their sins. In Advent, we rejoice in Jesus' coming among us in the past, in the present, and in the future. The theme this week is straighten up. But our readings this year offer us a great opportunity to ignore that message. Isaiah promises comfort. John the Baptist is not preaching about fire and brimstone. But events in this country in the last few weeks make it imperative for all of us to address a vexing issue. Yeah, friends, this is one of these weeks where we're not going to so much comfort the afflicted as afflict the comfortable. You've heard about recent instances in which black men die during confrontations with white police officers. And none of the officers were held accountable for their deaths. People have taken to the streets all over the country in protest, saying that our society seems to value the lives of brown and black-skinned people less than the lives of white-skinned people. These cases touch on all sorts of complicated issues of race, economics, and security. As many people have pointed out, this isn't just about race. A lot of it's about power, that many people on the lower rungs of our economic ladder seem to not have much voice. Some people think the protests are causing more problems than they're solving. How did the destruction in Ferguson do anything to advance the cause of social justice? And if I had been driving to campus on Tuesday when protesters blocked the roads, I would have been annoyed too. But other people point out that when groups feel as if they are unheard, they have to find a way to cry out from their deserts. I don't have the answers. But I know that even if all forms of discrimination ended tomorrow, many disadvantaged people would struggle for decades to obtain the socioeconomic opportunities that middle-class people take for granted. Even when other factors are controlled for, minorities do not seem to be treated fairly by our justice system. According to the NAACP, one out of three black males born today in this country can expect to be imprisoned at some point in his lifetime. But I also have friends who are police officers who face potential threats to their safety every day on the job. As the death of Eric Garner seems to indicate, some policing policies should be changed, perhaps. But it's unreasonable to expect police officers to never make bad decisions in the heat of the moment. What we're talking about here is something called social sin. 
We can all see the effects of something terribly wrong in our society, but it's hard to pinpoint the actions of individual people that have led to systemic injustices. Yet, all of us play a part in this injustice, as have millions of people in generations before us. Social policies, deliberately or not, continue to have a disproportionate negative effect on people of color. For those of us who are privileged, those of us who know few people stuck in neighborhoods of drugs, violence, and poverty, we need to find ways to befriend individuals in these situations and hear their stories. I am not taking a position on the grand jury decision in Ferguson. I realize I am quite ignorant about the struggles of minorities in the United States, as I am one of many white Americans with few close friends of color. However, as I prayed about this and sweated about this homily this week, I realized that I probably rub shoulders with more underprivileged people than a lot of other people in this parish. I've worked in a hospital and in two parishes that primarily serve inner-city African Americans. I go to the jail from time to time. So even after acknowledging this week that I am not quite as ignorant as I thought, the facts remain. Men of color are incarcerated at appallingly high rates. They have lower life expectancies, and I have an obligation to help change these statistics. And then I thought and I prayed some more. For the better part of seven years, I lived less than one block from people who were economically underserved, and I never made the slightest effort to get to know any of them, even though I drove and walked through their neighborhood almost every day. And then I thought about the six different apartments that I've had. My first apartment in Rochester, my next-door neighbors were Vietnamese immigrants. My third apartment, I sublet from two brothers from Pakistan. My fifth apartment, my next-door neighbor was a woman very down on her luck economically. And my last apartment, was uh, my next-door neighbor was from Iran. And I didn't get to know any of them very well. But the neighbors who lived up the street from my parents, who were from Zimbabwe and white and middle class, I knew better. God promises that every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. But John the Baptist calls us all to repentance of our sins. How do my attitudes and actions contribute to the rifts that separate us from our fellow human beings? Yesterday, I celebrated Mass with the guys in the maximum security section of the Knox County Detention Facility. And I asked them, what would they want me to tell you to help bridge the rifts between us? Well, one of them pointed out that God often calls people that we would prefer to condemn. Maybe as many as 13 books of the New Testament were written by a guy who persecuted Christians, St. Paul. Moses when his, was an escapee wanted for murder. They questioned if it's even possible for us to understand the challenges they face unless we've gone through it ourselves. And I said, well, I don't think the solution is for everybody to go to jail. And one guy said, well, this is the challenge. I said, tell them 
they need to get outside their comfort zones and know us. I can't help but wonder, if I continue to separate myself from certain types of people, how will all of us be able to see the glory of the Lord together? Together? 